We're in week five of our identity series. We've been asking a question each week and exploring uh, how do we answer this with a Christian identity and kind of reflecting on how that differs from the world and, and how they have to create their own identity and whatever it is, um, how they answer it. Uh, today, our worship set up our question. So our worship today was just looking at God, adoring him, saying him for who he is. Our question today, oh, I wasn't ready. I didn't turn it on yet. Our question today is, am I significant? You know, this is, this is the human desire for purpose, for meaning, right, to, to matter in the world. As a Christian, we have to have the backdrop of this being God's ultimate significance. He is significant. Am I significant? No, he is significant, right? There, there is, I mean, a Christian worldview says there is only one who is significant, and that is God. And he chose to love us. You know, this is our identity. He chose to adopt us as children, right, to be a part of his family. He chooses to share his significance with us. So Christians can answer this. Yeah, I am significant. Why? Because the ultimate significant one has told me I am. He has given me purpose. He has given me significance. Uh, So that's one thing. That's kind of the um, internal self-esteem, how you view yourself in the mirror. Uh, We've been talking about that in the previous weeks, Uh, but today we're going to look a little bit further. A lot of us, even if we feel confident who we are in Christ, we want to be significant to the world, to others. We want to make a difference. We want to make an impact. We want to uh, matter to others around us. Uh, When I was in college, I read a book that I I think it probably, I could probably qualify it and say it changed my life, but I'm not sure what my life would have looked like if I hadn't read it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but the, the book was called Don't Waste Your Life. It was by a popular preacher, uh, John Piper. Um, he's a very dynamic speaker. Uh, I read the book. I, I read it later, and, and I, it didn't have the same impact. But when I read it that, that spring of my senior year of college, um, and I'm praying, I'm like, God, what do you want me to be? I have no clue. Like, I, I, like, I'm done with the scripted part of my life, you know, where like you have to go to school K through 12. And then I'm like, all right, cool, I'll just do four more years. And now I'm like getting to the end of that, and it's like, God, I don't know, like, what do I do next, right? Well, don't waste your life. The whole theme of the book is uh, it's written toward high school, college-age Christians. Uh, I mean, it's like a 20-year-old book now, you know, but, but it's essentially saying don't follow the American dream. Do something more significant, you know, like, like make something of your life. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. I really resonated with this. Um, it helped. Uh, I shared a little with you guys if you found that, that secret hidden link two weeks ago, um, and we did our sermon wrap. Uh, it's, it's just a summary of the sermon. Um, I got to do another one of those. Uh, but, but my favorite rap group in college that I followed uh, adopted this book and its kind of message as its summer touring theme. And they had a Don't Waste Your Life tour. And I think I can count on three fingers how many concerts I've been to, live concerts as an adult. I'm not a concert guy. I, I really don't like live music. That's, that's Kim's thing. Um, <laughs> I, and two of those concerts, I went with someone else for them. The only concert I ever attended by myself uh, was the Don't Waste Your Life tour, actually in Lima, Ohio, um, for the young, since they, uh, they're from that neck of the woods. Um, and I remember going there by myself, loving the whole concert. I bought a shirt that uh, just said, Don't Waste Your Life. Oh, I might have had a verse in between, but I got it signed by all the rappers. They like wrote their favorite verse. I think that might have been a shirt that you saw me with when I met you, Sherry. Now, I don't know if it was the, the shirt I was wearing, but we met when we were volunteering at a high school youth group. And I felt like if I'm volunteering a high school youth group, what better shirt than one that just says, don't waste your life. It's got a bunch of Bible verses on it. It's like, yeah, you know, and you're like, look at me, I'm doing it, right? Yeah. 
Um, my point, yeah, I got carried away with that, right? No, my point is most people feel that, that don't waste your life, right? I mean, most people want to live a life that matters. Most of us are not content to simply live, right? Like, oh, I, I'm breathing again today, you know? It's like, well, no, no, no. Like, how can I make my life matter? How can it count? You know, I, I don't just want to breathe. I don't just want to eat. I don't just want to sleep. I don't want to survive. I want to live, and I want to live with vigor, purpose, significance? That's the question uh, we're going to be answering today. Uh, Before I jump in and open up the Bible, uh, let's pray, and let's just ask that God would uh, speak to us this morning. So Lord, uh, here we are uh, wanting to ask this question that we have on our hearts. I pray that you would speak to us in in the ways that that we need to hear, Uh, whether it's the direction that I'm going with my sermon, Lord, or if there's something else that your spirit needs to touch in each one of these hearts um, that's listening. Uh, In my heart as well, Lord, I pray that you would Just reveal yourself to us um, and help us answer this question the way that you would want us to. In your name we pray, amen. All right, when we answer this question, there's kind of two different routes you can take. There's the Christian route, that's the one we're going to take, and then there's the route where if you don't believe there's a significant one, right? Because if you don't believe there's a God, you don't, that, that means no one has ultimate significance, that means there's no creator, that means you weren't designed, you know, that, that just means things just kind of are, you have to make your own significance. Like, you, you have to pick what is it going to be. And this is where identities, you know, secular, non, uh, non-Christian identities, you know, help. They, they say, well, here's your purpose in life. Here's the direction you can go. And a lot of people will create uh, different purposes that give them significance. So these, these are ones that maybe you've heard of. Like, um, I live my life to do what brings me the most joy, right? I, I do what I want to do, right? Happiness. Um, other people would like to make it more... Um, productive, you know, where it's, I want to better myself, you know, I want to, I want to see where I am, and, and this time next year, I've learned a new language, right, or I've learned to play chess, you know, I've picked up a new hobby, or, or, or it's, it's beyond themselves, right, and it's, I'm, I've developed the world, you know, look at how I've helped with my company, or I've helped in this nonprofit or something, or, or other people might pick more relationally, you know, and, and, and I find significance in how I love, whether it's my family, or my spouse, or, or others, um, still others want to see uh, more of like a legacy, like what, what is the mark that I've left on the world so that when I die that there's something that I have done that can remain for longer, you know, if not forever. Uh, all of these are attempts at saying what is significant? What is a significant life? If you don't have God, you have to make up your own um, and it's going to be arbitrary. <laughs> Whereas we and God, we have significance because God is significant and gives us significance and he's already designed the whole world. What I love about the Bible uh, is also something that frustrates me about it. Um, this isn't like a handbook, you know, like uh, if there's something wrong with my car, I can just like go grab the, the handbook and flip to the page that's about the dashboard lights and I, oh, okay, it's that, you know? Whereas the Bible isn't like that, you know? There's not a nice little index where you can say, all right, I'm going through a hard time. What do I look? This is written uh, in many different genres and it just kind of tells more of a story of where the world is, where it's going, where it was. And in that, we can see God's heart and his design and his destiny, right, of, of, of humans, right, and where we fit in. And this can help give us framework to understand, well, what, what purpose does God have in mind for us? That's where we're going to go today. We're going to look at the very beginning, when he started with humanity, when he created us, what did he design us for? We're going to see at the very end where is he bringing us to? What, what's the ultimate end? So here's very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, 27 through 28. These are famous words. You've heard them before. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So this takes place after he's already created a new world and he's populated it with all sorts of plants and animals. It's teeming with life. And then the crown jewel, he finally finishes with humanity. And we get this, this image of God. Now there's books that have been written about what, what does that mean, right? To, to hold the image of God. And what is... What is, oh, I'm pointing at that. Maybe, is it better if I point back here? You guys know I'm pointing at the screen if I point there. I'll point here just for clarity purposes. What, what does it mean for this commission, right, to rule over all the fish and that birds to, to be fruitful, increase in number, and subdue the earth? Um, again, books, books have been written about this, but at the least, we can see that we're supposed to represent God in some way. We're supposed to reflect him, be like him, and we're supposed to have this relationship with the created world around us, and that relationship is us kind of being a manager, a boss, a ruler, a a king of some sort, and then we just have to figure out, well, what does that kind of look like? If you go to chapter two of Genesis, you get a little bit more detail. You know, this is the story of, of God and how he created Adam and Eve. It says things like this, um, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, And there he put the man he had formed. He made uh, the man first. Eve comes at the very end of chapter two. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and there it was separated into four headwaters. I'm going to skip four verses about those different rivers and some of the natural resources that are around it. And then 15 says, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This gives us a little bit more of a picture of what God had in mind when he said, rule the earth, right, subdue it. And, 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 and I've created you in my image. Uh, we see that uh, God has made a, a wonderful, amazing world, wild, full of life, just, just teeming with life. If you read Genesis 1, it just feels like it's popping up all over the place. And then he creates a small little space, and he says, this space will be more organized. It will be a garden, right? Not wild. It will be um, organized, right? And then, uh, man, you go here, and you tend the garden. So you're, you're going to keep it beautiful. Keep it organized. Make sure that you're encouraging this flourishing of life, you know, kind of uh, tame the wild, right? Turn it from, from wilderness into a garden. This is the purpose of humanity. You know, God has created a world that is abundant with life, and then it's our job to help tend it, to care for it, allow for the flourishing of life, bring things to wholeness, to order, allow, make, 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 make there be peace here in the areas that we have. That's our calling. It's, it's that of a gardener, At least that's the picture that we have. That's what it means to subdue the earth, is to make something of it, make something beautiful, orderly, and allows for the flourishing of life. If you look, um, yeah, one, two, skip. If you go to the second to last chapter and the last chapter in the Bible in Revelation, a completely different kind of book, but it talks about where we headed for the ultimate future. And this is the new heavens, the new earth, right? It's this, this new Jerusalem city coming down from heaven, that will be our ultimate dwelling place with God in it. Here's a little excerpt. I can't read all the two chapters, but here's the beginning of Revelation 22, the last chapter in the Bible. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God 
and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. What I love about this is there is a lot of symbolic similarity between this garden that God had as his kind of original plan, you know, this uh, design for humanity and the earth, and then the destiny for humanity and the earth also has a river and trees and fruit and life. What I see is the fulfillment of the, the commissioning that he's given Adam and Eve in the garden is coming to a whole with this new heaven and this new earth. The leaves are still there to provide healing for the nations. This is flourishing, this life, this peace, this wholeness. Those things will be completed here in this city garden, you know, that we, that we get to have. Uh, when I was a kid, I don't know. I, I don't know where I was influenced by what heaven would be like or what, what the end would be like, like what the future was, but I was like scared of it because I felt like I would lose myself in it. You know, like, 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 um, you know how when a, a water droplet, we're going to see this a lot, when things melt, it's kind of like rolling down a window and you see it like absorbing all these other drops as it goes down. I felt like I was one of those drops, right? Like ultimately time would just kind of bloop and then I'm, I'm in with everyone else, you know, and here we are in heaven and we're all just kind of you know, perfected bodies. We're all the same. We're all just singing God, worshiping him all the time. Uh, and I kind of lose a little bit of myself, the, the fun, the variety that life is. Uh, but that's not to be. This is Revelation 21, which also describes uh, the same place. It says this, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. I just like how it's talking about. Again, I don't, I don't know how specific this is, but, but it indicates the, the honor and the glory and the splendor of the kings are a part of heaven. Like not, not whoop, absorbed up, you know, kind of, kind of like insignificant, right? Like kings, just imagine they build incredible palaces and they amass wealth and we say, well, you can't take it with you when you go. But then in Revelation, it says something about, well, it's their glory and honor that these are actually bringing to heaven. It's almost, it's almost like God is saying some of the things that these kingdoms have done, that these humans have done, is significant, like, like eternally significant. Like, like they, can, they can actually bring that in, and that's going to add to what we're doing. And this, to me, makes me say, whoa, okay, well, that's, that's different, because there's a lot of things that I do here on earth that I think are pretty valuable, pretty good, and I'd love for them to be a part of heaven. What, what I see in this is God is saying, yeah, I originally designed you humans to cultivate a garden, to make it grow, to make it flourish. That's going to be a part of it. All, that, that's the same as the destination of where we're taking things. We're going to have a flourishing garden. So all the work that you're doing in order to create this is going to be able to be a part of it, but a part of it in perfection, right? So it's, so it's not all the frustration or, yeah, but it doesn't really work on this side or, yeah, well, this tree's got kind of that branch. Over no, no, no. Now it's perfect, Right? That, that's what I see with this. And then at the end, at the end, we see humans have the same role. It says, I'm back in Revelation 22, now I'm in verse 5. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, which is the theme of these two chapters, and they will reign forever and ever. 
Now that one always stood out to me as well. They will reign forever. You know, I think you mean he will reign, right? The Lord will reign forever and ever. No, read it in the Greek. It's, it's they. The same they that will not need the light of a lamp is the they that will reign. See, God's design that we would rule the earth continues that we will reign with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Our design and our destiny are the same. Like we're called to be these tenders of the garden. We're called to bring the flourishing of life everywhere we go, peace and wholeness. Every, everything that we do, everything that we are designed to do is also what we're going to do in the end. And so we could read the whole Bible and see if that's the case, but if that's the, the start and that's the finish, what do you think we're supposed to be doing now? <laughs> that, that what, what we're designed to do, what we're going to do, what we're ultimately destined to do. Be tenders of the garden. Allow for life to flourish around us. Bring wholeness. Bring peace. When we talk about what makes a significant life or where is significance, uh, you're going to find it closely connected with purpose, right? And, then, and God has given us a purpose. There's actually a direction that we're moving in the Bible. All right, sig- living a significant life means doing things that lead us toward that ultimate purpose, if you're doing just kind of whatever in life, that, that's insignificant, ultimately, because there is actually a direction. We don't have to make up our meaning, like people who don't have an identity. There is a direction. We're, we're moving in history. There's, there's a start and there's a finish. We can see the start. We can see the finish. Therefore, we can know, well, what can I do that will be significant along that path? Here's how, here's how I put it. Significance is in the steps that lead towards your purpose. Right? So if you're living a significant life, you're taking steps toward your purpose. I imagine it like this. Uh, like here's the beginning of, of the Bible, right? The beginning of the earth, beginning of humanity. And here's the end of humanity and the earth and the Bible. And you unfold it and you lay it out kind of like a map, right? And you are here, <laughs> you know? And, and God's told you, well, here's where we're going, right? And so now with him, we're kind of figuring out how are we getting there? right? So if you, if you take steps toward your destination, those are significant steps. Like if you put in your GPS, you're going to someone's house, you've never been, they're on the other side of town, you're like, I don't know how to get there. Do, 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 you know, I put it in. Okay, if you, if you make the wrong turn and now you're going the wrong direction, that's, that's insignificant, right? Like you are not helping yourself. You're not going closer to where you're going. If you start making the right turns, following your GPS, yes, that's a significant step towards your purpose. Same thing in life. If you want to live a significant life, if you want to be significant, take steps towards your ultimate purpose because that's where you are going. That's where God is taking you. And so what that looks like is be for the flourishing. Be a gardener. Tend. There's wilderness out here. Make it grow. Make it flourish. Bring peace. Bring wholeness to those around you. I like this way of looking at what significance is because it helps me see a bigger picture. When I, when I read that book in college, you know, I kind of went away with the the feeling like, okay, I have to be a missionary. And it has to be overseas. Like, I mean, it doesn't count if it's in the United States because you already know the language and the culture, you know? And I'm like, well, maybe I could be an inner city missionary. Well, does that count God? He's like, you know, no, no, that's not it at all, right? But I think the church sometimes says, you want a significant life? Become a professional Christian, right? Be a missionary, be a pastor, work, work on staff somewhere, you know, or take a lot of mission trips or make sure that you're volunteering a ton at a nonprofit, you know, and it's almost like what, what I heard or what I have heard is if you want a significant life, um, you've got to do a bunch of extra stuff, real significant stuff, you know, like church type stuff. 
But this definition says something entirely different, and it opens up kind of our whole lives to significance, right? Because no, no longer do you have to be a professional Christian to do significant work. What if you're a construction worker, right, that fills potholes all day, right? Well, you're taking something that is wild and broken, and you're bringing wholeness. You're restoring it. You're allowing other people to flourish in their own life. Every single day that you go to work is significant, is a step toward ultimately where we're going, right, where everything is perfect. What if, uh, what if you're a janitor, right, and you clean an office building after everyone's already gone on nights and weekends, right, and you're cleaning toilets, you're vacuuming floors. Is that significant? Yeah, absolutely. That's very much like tending a garden, <laughs> you know? You're pulling the weeds. You're making sure that people can grow, that life can happen because you're keeping out everything. You're keeping it organized. You're creating a space where life can thrive. That is significant. That is moving you toward the direction of where God is taking us. Or what about cooking, right? I'm, I'm kind of getting into cooking. It was fun. I made three new recipes this week, right? How were they, Carter? Uh, like out of 10. One to 10. So I, I made that beef. I did that stroganoff thing. And then I did uh, the tomato one that you guys didn't like. <laughs> got to go quick. We're, oh, okay. So I got a five out of 10. That's what I'm hearing. And that might be generous. That might be generous. No, Carter's actually our best food critique. I'll be like, all right, what do you think? He's like, I don't know, maybe too much salt. I'm like, all right, yeah. fair play, you know. But cooking, right, you take all these ingredients, right, which are just little kind of random pockets of life that are just out there in the world, and you make them in such a way that are not just nourishing, right, not just healthy and keep people alive, but they're beautiful, right, to the eyes, nose, and mouth. You know, it's like that is very much significant, right? That is moving towards where we're going. That's reflecting God's character. You're creating a flourishing in life. Uh, we can go on and on. What about um, meeting someone for coffee, right? I mean, it probably depends on how that interaction goes. But if you're there to encourage them, to listen to them, to help them through, to help them find wholeness and encouragement, absolutely, that is moving toward your purpose. And again, we it continues, right? I mean, we, we, could, we could play a game and you could think of all these little things that you think are insignificant that are actually really significant. Your whole life starts opening up. It's not just the special mission trips you go on like once every three years. This becomes every single day you wake up, you could live a significant day because you are moving toward the destination that God has for you. Now, here's, here's a question. This is just homework. I don't have time to explore this in depth. What does an insignificant life look like? right? So for me, I'm like, oh, it's probably leisure, you know, just chilling, watching the game, you know, playing video games, uh, golfing, I don't know, whatever, whatever you do to, to waste time. Now, a l- little bit, we're going we're gonna to have to <laughs> talk about that. We are meant to enjoy the garden, you know, God does actually want us not just to work all day, right? There's, there's a day of rest and enjoyment of what God has given us. There is, a, there is room for leisure in a significant life, um, You'll have to figure out where the boundaries are, or we'll have to do that together in community. But you know, if I was thinking of what does a truly insignificant life look like, I thought, okay, well, what if you just remove all those things that we find significant, right? So uh, you don't cook, right? You just, just eat out, right? And just, just buy things. Uh, you don't take care of your kids. You just take them to daycare. You don't clean your house. We'll pay for someone to clean our house. Um, you don't work, you know, so you're retired, so you can just kind of do whatever you want. You don't have any of those opportunities to move significantly toward your purpose. And I thought that, 
that would probably be maybe the most insignificant life, you know? And you know what hits me? It's, it's ironic because that life is actually what culture dangles in front of us and says, this could be you, right? Like almost as a dream, right? Like one day, if you work hard enough, you can get to the point where you don't have to do anything. Everyone can do something for you. You can be just a consumer, you know? And if you have enough money, you can work, work your tail off now in order that you might live the most insignificant life possible, right? <laughs> it's just kind of funny where like, that really is kind of like the dream of retirement, right? Retire early, move to Florida, do nothing. You know, it's like, I mean, you could, look, 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 you could do it, but here, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to feel pretty insignificant. You're going to be asking God, like, what am I doing? Like, I need more in life. Why? Because you, you're, you're wandering, right? You're on that map. You're just taking lefts and rights, whichever way you're going, and you're getting farther and farther from where God has designed you, the destination he's taking you to. Don't, don't waste your life, right? I mean, that's, that's like the book. You can read that if you want. How do we do this, though? How do, we, how do we live a significant life then? How do we know what we have? Here's my advice to you. Use what God gave you, right? So don't look to other people. Don't say, oh, well, it's got to be a pastor. I mean, look, at Brad read the book. Now he's a pastor. Clearly, that's what we have to do. No, 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 no. <laughs> I didn't start out being a pastor. I feel like that was me trying to figure out, well, actually, I think I'm supposed to be a pastor. I think that's what he's given me to share with the world. But he's given you something else. Last week, we talked about how we're diverse. We're different, and, and not, not by mistake or by accident. And it's not simply that we just all belong in our diversity, and there's unity in diversity. Rather, we are needed in our diversity. God created us different. He intends for us to be different, which means he intends for us to live different, significant lives. Lives. It's, it's going to look different from person to person. So you have to figure out. God gave you certain skills. He gave you certain passions. He gave you certain personality. He gave you certain circumstances. He gave you these in a certain season, right? And so you are, you are supposed to discern, okay, well, who am I? What does that look like? Okay, now let me go. Now this will be significant. And it will look different. And it will look you. It will feel like you, right? It's not... It might be work still, but it's going to be a work that feels like, well, I was made to do this. I'm supposed to do this. Like one thing I've learned about myself is I'm good at making connections, small talk, being chatty with people. So, so what do I need to do? I need to do that in an encouraging, positive way. So like whether it's at church or whether it's at basketball or whether it's in the neighborhood, if I'm not doing that, I'm essentially saying, I'd rather live insignificantly, right? God's saying like, no, 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 I, I made you that way. Like, like, you're supposed to be doing that everywhere you go. That's who you are. So you have to find out who are you and where are you at in your season of life, in your current circumstances? Who is it around you? What, what kind of bandwidth do you have? Where will you be living significantly? All right, we've talked a lot about a significant life. Um, and some of you are uncomfortable, right? Because here I am talking about the purpose of being a Christian, and I haven't once said the Great Commission, all right? You know, because after all, what could be more significant than leading someone to Jesus, right? I mean, absolutely, absolutely. But let's look at that within our paradigm, within what we're talking about, right? You, you unfold the map. Here's our purpose as, as Christians, right? I mean, as humans, we should say. I mean, we, we can't even say as Christians. As humans, we're called to be gardeners and tenders and to bring flourishing a life, Eventually, we'll get all the way over here where we again rule and reign in a perfected world of that garden, probably doing very similar things to what we've always been designed to do. Uh, there's a lot, in fact, uh, every other chapter minus four of them, <laughs> that tells of this story 
throughout. And, and the big plot line of the Bible is that uh, humans didn't really want to go where God, where God was pointing them. You know, like the GPS, it's like, turn left at the next light. They're like, nah, I'm good, right? They turn it off. And then humans are just wandering way over here, right? And so then God has a decision to make. Are we just going to let them get lost? Or do I actually want them to be with me in the future? And that's where Jesus comes in because he says, no, I want them to be with me, right? And so that's when in Jesus, through Jesus, but we, we should probably say through the entire Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he guides us back on that path and leads us ultimately toward him. So, so the whole path and the destination are rooted in the person of God, right? It's this relationship with him. We can't separate what we do in a significant life from the person of God. Significance will be found in him and in him alone. Therefore, the Great Commission fits in that in-between, right? The Great, great Commission is, is when Jesus, he dies on the cross, he rises again, he meets with his disciples, and before he goes back to heaven, he says, uh, he sends them out. This is the end of Matthew. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I'll be with you always. But he gives them this, all right, you've got to now tell others about me, right? Like make more of you, you know, kind of thing. That makes sense because he's the way, the truth, and the life pointing us toward the destination. Some people are still wandering, right? And so what, what Jesus is saying is, disciples, your role now as the gardeners, as the tenders of flourishing of life is to help people see that it's in me that that life happens and help them go. And so we can add a relational aspect, not just a work aspect of what's going to be significant and flourishing of life. Anytime we're encouraging one another toward God or introducing someone to God, that is also significant because that is the same theme where we're tending a garden and the life is God himself. That process that you're on, that I'm on, of, of yeah, we're wandering a bit. Oh, yeah, okay, now we're listening to God and, wandered, and now we're coming back to God. That's discipleship, right? That's becoming more like Jesus, going closer to the ultimate destination that he has for us. Helping others along that way, that's participating in that discipleship. That's the great commission. You know, make disciples. All right, you're going to help them. Yep, yep, get back on track, get pointed to God, be connected to the true life that we have. Uh, evangelism is just introducing people to that. Oh, I don't know if you knew about this new GPS app. <laughs> it's really good. You know, like here, follow this. Uh, I really like how Luke describes this great commission. So the, the great commission as we kind of know it and as I recited, that's at the end of Matthew. Uh, Luke says it in a little bit of a different way. Um, same time frame, he's ascended. He's meeting with his disciples before he goes back to heaven. Uh, he's not ascended. He's resurrected. And now he's met with his disciples before he's ascended. He says, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. What we see here is Jesus is telling them who he is, reminding them, remember, I am the Messiah. I, I, I came from this line of all these prophecies. I am truth. And then he says, you will tell them about me, right? You've seen all this, so now, now your role is to say it. That's how I view our role, you know, as the church. We're tending to life. We're, we're performing significant work, meaning that we're creating the flourishing of life, wholeness and peace all around us. Uh, we're helping people know who God is. Uh, evangelism can be a really intimidating word, uh, but here, I want to break it down for you in a way that I think will be accessible for all of us. 
Uh, there's three things I think we need to do better if we're going to be more effective at evangelism and allow this to be a part of our significant life. Here's the first one. Know him better, period. Because look, if we're called to be witnesses of God, you better know who you're witnessing about. You know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever had to introduce someone that you really didn't know too well? You're like, here's a guy who has seven years of experience in chemical engineering, and he, you know, it's like, okay, like, you shouldn't be the one introduced. But if you know the person for 20 years, now you can share a personal story, an anecdote. Oh, yeah, you know, and, and create that bond with whoever you're introducing them to, you know. If we're trying to introduce people to God, we better know God, right? Other, otherwise, you're just telling them about, about a theoretical idea. You know, have you ever read the Bible? You know, it's like, well, I'll just read the Bible. No, 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 God is real. See, this is why we worship hard with intensity, we bring our true selves. We bring what we're going through. We pray for real. I mean, we pray in order to hear from him, right? We read the Bible in order to learn about him, in order to know more about who he is, in order for the Holy Spirit to adjust us, to convict us, to mold us, to shape us, because we want to actually know God, know him better. If we're going to live significantly with others, we have to know who God is. We have to be on that path ourselves to be able to say, here, just follow me. I'm, I'm finding that way too. Second thing that we have to do is live significantly, meaning make those choices that demonstrate the, the flourishing of life, right? Like our purpose as humans. Because again, you can talk about Jesus all you want. You can point out the truth in the scriptures. But if you can't show them what that looks like, you can't show them this purpose, this design that God has, this destination he has for all of us. All it will be is just intellectual knowledge. You know, it's like there's a difference between learning about George Washington during the American Revolution and being in the boat with him as he's crossing the Trenton for a surprise attack on the British. You know, it's like one, you're there and you're experiencing it. The other, you're learning about it. If, if our lives don't reflect this purpose, this design, a significant life that God has for each one of us, when we share about who Jesus is, it just sounds like a history book. You're like, oh, cool, yeah, awesome. Never, didn't know that one. You know, that's a fun fact. But if we're living it, we're saying, hop in the boat with us. I'll, I'll show you. <laughs> Let me show you what this looks like. And then you can see, wow, God truly is good. Well, you know what? This God of yours who has this design and purpose, I, I actually kind of wouldn't mind ending up there. You know, if I could be anywhere on the map that I want, I think I'd rather be there. Oh, well, come follow me, right? All right, lastly, lastly, use what God gave you. It's the same point. We're all different, right? If you've ever felt sheepish when someone says, hey, I'm going to go do some street evangelism. You want to come with me? And you're like, oh, well, I, you know, it's like, that's me, right? I feel really uncomfortable pushing someone uh, to make a decision right here, right now. My personality says, here, let me give you all the options, take all the time you need, and you make the best choice. Guess what? God didn't make me to be a street evangelist, right? He made me to talk and encourage people, you know, and lift their spirits, right, and to teach his word, you might also be someone to teach his word. You might be someone who's supposed to be hospitable, someone who serves, right? Someone who, who demonstrates one of these maybe more than the other one. We're all needed, right? I, I just gotta, gotta repeat what we were talked about last week. God is gonna cover all those other things with other people, but he's not gonna cover what he's given you to do, right? So however he's made you to witness to him, do, do it. You, you have to. We're, we're, we're counting on it as a church. We'll cover you in the areas that you're not good, and we're, we'll be willing to help and step in with each other. 
But if there's a person that he's brought to you or a thing that he's saying, no, this is how you're supposed to reflect me, yeah, do it, do it. That, that is absolutely what you have to do. Is it going to look like me? Probably not. It's going to look like anyone else? Probably close because we're still reflecting the same God. But we have to do it in our own way. So take stock. What has God given you? What are the circumstances? What are the opportunities that you have now? Take them. And so that's, that's where we conclude, right? How we land the plane, uh, don't waste your life. <laughs> you know, make it count, make it significant. You don't have to make up what significance is. God already told you when he gives you this purpose. So choose to take steps toward this ultimate purpose. See it in everyday life as you're trying to bring flourishing to the world. Allow life to grow, bring peace, bring wholeness to everything around you that God has. Because when you're working on this world, you're working apart of this world that's going somewhere. There's an ultimate destination, a glorious destination, and it's all in King Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you care about us to give us your significance, that you infuse us with purpose, that you designed us with purpose, you destined us for purpose, and that you've committed to be with us as we figure it out in the meantime in this broken world that is not the beginning or the end. Lord, may we reflect you well. May we choose to make significant steps, significant in in that is towards you, God. And may you gift us, may you show us how you've given us different things, different tools, so that we might be able to apply those to the world around us, so that they might know you, and that our world might reflect your ultimate destination more. This, Lord, is where we find our purpose and meaning, and we thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so this uh, first Sunday of the month was when we used to practice communion every, well, every month that we did it, but this is also the first time we're gonna do it every single week. Huh, wow, what a weird way of saying that. We're taking communion and expect to take communion next week. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Communion is the reminder of what Jesus has done in that in-between right? So humans going every which way. Jesus comes, brings us back. Well, he does that through the cross, right? So he takes the cost of all the time that we've lost of going away. He takes all the cost and pain that we've caused by going a completely different way, and he bears it on himself on the cross. That's him dying for our sins. And then he rose from the grave, and he offers us life. He says, come follow me. I will show you the direction that we need to go. This is communion. This is what we take This is what centers us as Christians, as Christ followers. You know, we don't have uh, any sort of membership. You don't have to sign something to be a part of Beyond Church. We are just the group of people who are following Jesus, you know, who want to to experience his death, the death to ourself, the death to our old ways, our lost ways, and the life that is him pointing us back to the direction where we go. And so we invite anyone, everyone who wants to be a part of that, wants to attach their life to Jesus and his life to take with us. Um, If that's not you or if you still want to kind of wrestle with things, stay in your seat, no problem. You can be a part of this and just experience it as others take the elements. Uh, We're going to come down like we do. I know there's not, um, there's not rows as much, but there's a little bit of like a a middle aisle. We'll line up in here, we'll grab it and then kind of go out to the sides and go back to your seats. Uh, Once everyone's had it, I'll come back up and then we'll take them together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant, which is in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
you bow your heads and your hearts with me? Lord, we thank you for your life. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you don't leave us lost and wandering on the map of life. But that you pull us back, you direct us, and you're taking us somewhere. Um, we submit to you. Take us somewhere, God. We will follow you. We want to see your will be done. We want to see your kingdom. And we want to see the role that we get to play and see the fruit that you will grow through our efforts in our life. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. All right, we're going to do discussion groups, uh, but then hang around. We're going to go grab the main dishes of the food, and I saw the side dishes and desserts gathering. Uh, afterwards, uh, we'll all gather for food. But before that, uh, just gather around the little clumps of chairs. Um, if you're in a clump by yourself, maybe jump in with someone else. And then these are the questions. Oh, yeah, you guys got them. Uh, these are applica application questions. So what has God given you? Twice I said, use what God has given you, uh, or what God gave you. Uh, what are those? Whether it's personalities, talents, skills, circumstances, seasons, opportunities, whatever it is. Two, what are significant things you can do this week? So look at your particular life. Where do you see significance? Things that bring you closer toward the purpose that God has for you. And then answer the same question with a context of others. So who are people? How can you help them either know God or be encouraged to follow that path toward where he's going? So it's all application-based. Share a little about your life. Share a little bit about who you are. Uh, and then in about seven to ten minutes, I'll dismiss us. We can pick up the chairs and then go grab lunch together.